Welcome to the Principles of Success, Season 3, Episode 10. And I am a happy, happy man, because this is the final episode for this recording batch, and it has been a long day, so I am looking forward to being done. Cue ad. Alrighty, so what are we talking about today? We are talking about risk slash reward, producing, and bringing value to the table. So let's talk about risk slash reward first. When it comes to investing, when it comes to any financial venture, there's always going to be risk and there is always going to be reward. One of your main focuses needs to be rule number one, don't lose money. So one of your main focuses needs to be on minimizing the risk associated with a certain amount of reward. So in a previous episode, I already used this example, but you want asymmetric risk class reward, which is for every dollar you sp- uh, risk, you have the potential of making $5. So if you're wrong, four times out of five, you still come out at net zero. You didn't lose anything. But if you're right twice, well, then you've made five bucks. So that's asymmetric risk slash reward. And another great way of thinking risk slash reward stuff is doing investments that even if they fail as an investment, no big deal. So what do I mean by that? I want or I wanted land. Um, Land is a very good investment. Specifically, I wanted to invest in timber production. Wood is a very good investment long term. And I'm using a personal example, so that's why I'm talking about this. Um, Even if I don't make any money from this one particular investment, then no big deal. I have hunting land that I can use. I I can turn it into farmland that I can use if I want. I can chop down the trees and turn them into furniture as a business if I want. There's a lot of things that I can do even if the price of lumber crashes for some reason in 20 years. So that's another example of asymmetric risk slash reward. Even if the intended plan completely bombs, I have multiple other uses for the investment. I don't even live near anywhere near the um, this particular investment property that I just bought, which I keep talking about. I'm about 20 hours away from it. And then to add another stack of asymmetric risk reward to it that as of right now the timber property the timber on the property is worth the amount that i was able to negotiate down for the property so essentially i bought the trees and the land came with it so i can sell off the trees right now if i wanted to and then repurpose the land and then make profit off of it that way if i wanted to so there's a lot of different things that i thought about into going into this particular property before i bought the property Walmart did something similar to this. Walmart, um, Sam Walton, would buy up property. He would examine cities, and he would try and predict where the the cities were expanding to. And then he would build his Walmart on the marginal land that's out just outside of where the city is right now, so he could pick it up for cheaper than if he tried to build it in the middle of the city. So he was reducing his risk of the store by buying cheaper land. So he would mediate the risk to try and maximize the re- and try and maximize the reward by trying to figure out where the city was going, which is why even today most of your WalMarts are on the edge of town. And sometimes he was wrong, 
there's one Walmart from my hometown where the city actually did not expand that way. And so that Walmart, was, while it's beginning to now, nowadays, like 50 years later, um, but for the longest time, it was just a random isolated Walmart that if you wanted to go to that Walmart, sure, it worked. You drove and there's just nothing around it. So find ways to reduce your risk in investments and in business. I think it was, uh, who's the guy that does Virgin? Virgin Airlines. Some British guy, I believe. Uh, how he started Virgin Airlines is he made a deal with, I think it was Boeing, um, which is a airplane producer. He made a deal that he would buy the airplanes, but if the business failed, Boeing, I'm, I don't know if it's Boeing or not, would buy the, would buy the planes back. So he reduced his risk of investing in this airline company by getting a guarantee of repurchase of the stuff. And this goes into kind of the next aspect of it, it and that is not getting too fancy. Don't get a office space for your business before you have a customer. Don't get an office space for your business before you're generating monthly income from your business. Too often people try and rush the process and they take on all of this risk, all of this debt, all of this um, infrastructure to try and produce something. And that's actually, so let's shift to farming stuff. Um, if any of you are interested in farming at all, a great source of information is Joel Salatin's model. His model is a low infrastructure, high labor, whereas most farming is high infrastructure, low labor. What I mean by that is Let's take a dairy farm. Most dairy farms, or chicken farms, you have to build a giant concrete structure worth millions of dollars, have millions of dollars worth of equipment, so it's high capital cost, oftentimes lots of debt, and before you can even start producing money for it. Whereas in a low infrastructure model, you can really get off of the ground with very bare minimum investments, but it requires more work, more sweat investment. You can lease the land, build little mobile structures, and so that way you can move the animals regularly, so that way they're not on one tiny piece of land for a prolonged period. Marketing agency. I actually recently had somebody who listens to the podcast reach out to me about starting their own marketing agency. Um, one of the reasons why I started my marketing agency is because it was a low-risk, low-investment business with possible high returns. So all of that is examples of risk slash reward. Focus on opportunities where the risk is lower than the reward. Another, not quite the same thing, but another important thing to talk about is don't bet the farm. This actually comes from Jeff Bezos, I believe. This is the don't bet the farm ideology. You can take lots of risks. Just don't take risks that will cost you everything. Don't bet the company. Don't bet the farm. Don't bet the retirement on a venture that if it failed, you are screwed. Take little micro risks. So Jeff Bezos, he would talk about how Amazon would take all of these different little small risks. Gary Vee talks about it a lot too. Take all these different small risks and if they fail, well then the main thing that you're doing is still fine. So don't bet the farm. And then next, let's shift over to the other half of today's episode, and that is being a producer, not a consumer. So, you have to produce value to be successful financially. 
And the more valuable you are to the marketplace, the more you will be rewarded. So a hamburger flipper or a parking meter maid or a cashier, those are not highly valuable skills and they never will be. You can use legislation to try and force up the value of it, but that doesn't really work, which we'll talk about in a later episode. You can do things like, for instance, a waiter. A waiter, while it's not a super high value skill, a waiter who is super cheerful and friendly and just a really good person is going to be more successful at it than somebody who's grumpy. This is why hot girls can usually actually make pretty good money as waiters because they're confident, cheerful, and hot. So what you produce determines the amount of money you get out. My first book, I lost money on. I was not a good enough marketer. I was not a good enough producer. I was not a good enough writer. I was not, and I rushed the process. To this day, even though I've had multiple editors and paid thousands of dollars to try and fix it up, to this day, people still talk about poor grammar and misspellings and stuff like that because I was just, I'm dyslexic. I have a really hard time writing. So even though it's a fun story and I really enjoyed the story and people who can get past the grammar stuff enjoy the story, it's not that high caliber of a book because I rushed the process. And one of these days I'll probably go back, unpublish it, redo it, get it done better, and then republish it. But I have other more important things to work on right now, so that's, a, that's just a pet project. But you have to produce value. Your labor produces value. Your side projects produce value. This podcast. The only reason you listen to this podcast is because you're getting value out of it. And the only reason I am getting paid from the advertisements of this podcast is because you listen to it. So if I want you to listen to it, I have to make sure that I bring you the most value I can produce at my current capabilities. That's another thing to keep in mind. You don't have to be perfect. There's a reason why I leave in the mess ups in the podcast and the me talking to myself, because I don't want it to be super polished and perfect and sound like I'm uh, a master speaker, because I'm terrible at it. I am getting better. One of the cool things to do, especially with like a podcast or something, is you can go back and listen to yourself and see how terrible you were when you thought you were doing great. And since I'm talking about podcast, uh, cue ad. So you have to produce value. When you produce value, people pay attention. Um, and the value that you produce in the marketplace is what you get paid out of the marketplace. And you don't get to determine your value, unfortunately, because I think I am a great storyteller, but nobody wants to read my... Gemini book because it I just didn't do a good enough job on it. So even though I thought the story was good, the marketplace decided the story was not good. So that's the value part of it. Let's switch back to the producer part. Why is it important to produce and not just consume? Well, the main reason is because when you produce something of value, people pay you. Produce, production, produce. Food is produce. You are producing produce with your production to generate profit. Notice anything similar about those words? Part of that is because produce, food, was how you, how production and profit was made for pretty much all of human history until just recently. 
but you need to produce production of valuable material that other people want to purchase from you with their IOUs that they traded their labor for. And your goal needs to be to produce the most value that you can simply for selfish reasons. The more valuable it is, the less labor it takes to equal the same amount of compensation. So what do I mean by that? Because I realized that might have, that whole section might have been super confusing. Let's use this podcast as an example. It takes about the same amount of effort to make a mediocre episode and a good episode. It takes the same amount of time. It takes the same amount of damage on my throat. It takes the same amount of discipline to sit here and stare at my wall. It takes a little bit more preparation and it takes a lot more knowledge on a particular subject. You can tell where I'm kind of iffy on a subject sometimes, at least I can, because I'm not as confident sounding. So a bad episode and a good episode take about the same amount of effort to produce. A good episode you're going to listen to, a bad episode you are not going to listen to. The more people that listen to it, the more profit I get from that episode. Like I have, I have episodes that have gotten a hundred views. Most people click on it and are like, eh, the sound quality is not too good. He's doing a lot of humming and hawing. I think I'm going to turn this off. I have episodes that have thousands upon thousands of views. Same amount of effort. One episode produced maybe a penny and the other episode produced several, several dollars. I'm rolling in it, aren't I? But that also brings up another point, which I actually wasn't going to talk about. But mass production of decently quality content is a much better strategy of trying to be a perfectionist and produce highly polished one-offs. So what do I mean by that? Uh, this is, uh, I'm stealing this from Gary Vee. This whole section of to topic is straight out of Gary Vee. Gary Vee produces a ton of content. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. Some of it I enjoy, some of it's, I'm like, well, that was a waste of time. But the constant production of new content means accidentally you will occasionally stumble on a gold one. So I'm going to use a very specific example that he used. He had a random episode or a random clip of him being obsessed about blueberries. Now he is a entrepreneur marketer. He talks about marketing, but because people are fans of him, that random clip of blueberries did fantastic. It went viral. Everybody was thinking it was super cool that this guy was obsessed with blueberries. If you had sat down in a meeting and talked about what content do we need to produce, a blueberry clip would not even cross your mind. But by producing a constant array of episodes or clips or of content, you will occasionally stumble onto good ones. There's episodes that I thought would have done really, really well. Topic that I thought a lot of people would be interested in and utterly bombed. And then there's episodes that I'm like, why are they listening to that one? That one was terrible. I don't know the market. The market knows the market. However, you can predict. The one I thought would be one of the most, success one of the most successful episodes is by far the most successful episode. And that is my, um, I don't remember his name. It's one of my motivational episodes. So that was just a little bonus tangent of not predetermining what is valuable to the market. Put do whatever you can 
to put things out on the market. The market will tell you if it's valuable or not. Don't second guess yourself. But you have to constantly be producing things that could be profitable or could be of value to somebody. And you have to have a constant focus on producing as much value as possible so that way the market will reward you. And with that, we are going to end today's episode. Check out my new book, The Blueprint of Wealth. It's available on Amazon. Link is below. And then next week, we are going to start into a totally different setup for the podcast of the steps of wealth. These first 10 episodes were the ideologies of wealth, I guess. That, that would be a good descriptor of them. These first 10 episodes were the ideologies of wealth. The next 10 or so episodes are going to be about the steps of wealth. So more down-to-the-bones tactics, let's get rolling, let's start you making some money episodes. So with that, we're going to end that here for today. And I am done recording for this batch, which I am super happy. And I will see you all next week.